Welcome to Leave Your Mark, where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Payne, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page at Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to create a community of people who take every opportunity to live high-performing lives. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning is a method and language of integrated practice. It brings the worlds of therapy and conditioning together and helps them become more powerful and more practical. If you live in one or both of these worlds or you use the services of a therapist or conditioning coach, you know that sometimes they don't see eye to eye. They aren't on the same page. Reconditioning provides a time-tested process for aligning these two worlds and creating impactful solutions to performance problems. Follow them at ReconditioningHQ on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or become a member of their Facebook group, Reconditioning HQ Revolution, and join the Reconditioning Revolution. I want to take a minute to connect you to our newest sponsor, Zenkai Sports, who are here with a question for you. Why do we sweat? Our body is perfectly designed to cool us down, but most apparel companies use moisture-wicking fabrics that remove our sweat, which makes us overheat faster and actually hurts our performance. Zenkai uses cutting-edge technology that repels sweat and other liquids. Zenkai apparel lets the sweat stay on your skin, keeping you cool for longer and repelling odor-causing bacteria. This means Zenkai apparel can be worn 10, 15, 20 times with no washing required. This lowers your carbon footprint and saves money, so you can be a hero with your planet and your family. Join the revolution for better apparel technology. What's in your ZNA? We've partnered with Zenkai, so if you head over to www.zenkaisports.com and use the discount code LYM20, you'll get 20% off your entire order. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston and today I have the honor of speaking with Mike Potenza. Mike is currently in his 14th year as the Director of Strength Conditioning for the San Jose Sharks hockey team. Mike is a Managing Partner and Director of Human Performance for Tactical Fitness and Performance. TFP is an innovative small business with a specialized focus on human performance for the tactical operator. Prior to his NHL career and while at Boston University doing his master's, he held a graduate assistant's position with the strength conditioning department, working with all varsity intercollegiate sports. He then went on to work at the University of Wisconsin, Harvard University, and Colgate University. Mike has been a leader in the National Hockey League and continues to push the growth and value of the profession every day in his role with the Sharks. He maintains a heavy NHL workload while being a great dad to his three children and husband, Bonnie. I am pleased to have him on the show today. Welcome, Mike. Thank you. That's a, appreciate the introduction. Yeah. <laughs> and you are in the middle of the NHL grind as we catch you in Nashville uh, for a game tonight. So thanks for taking the time. Yeah, no problem. So, buddy, it's been a while since you and I chatted. I mean, uh, we're, we're in the league. At, you, came, you came in what year? My first year was 06, 07. Yeah, yeah. so I was kind of leaving when you were coming. So we were there for a couple of years together, as I remember. But um, what did you sort of dream about being when you were a little boy? Yeah, I, re- I remember back, because I know you, you, you uh, asked this question. Um, Sometimes. In the podcast. <laughs> it's like, I wanted to be a firefighter because I had, you know, multiple members of uh, family members in fire service. I remember I wanted to be a chef because I was around my grandmother and aunts who were amazing Italian, of Italian descent and cooks, you know? So, um, when and I, 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 you know, I, in the backyard, yeah, you want to be an athlete, you want to be a pro hockey player. And that was my first love was hockey and got in it early as my first sport with my cousins and stuff. Um, but I was lucky in high school to just find athletic training, you know, on the mm. medical side. And that's what I wanted to do in college was I wanted to be an athletic trainer. Every school that I applied to going to college, uh, I, that was my focus. And um, which led me to Springfield College. You know, when you yeah. say you found it, did you find it because you were playing sports and you saw somebody that you kind of yeah. were inspired by who was doing it kind of? Yep. Yep. I was, I, I was in a lot of sports as a kid. I was fortunate enough to play a, a lot of sports and it was, it, I really enjoyed it and um, had a great group of friends and, you know, it's scary now having kids cause it's like, geez, the system is set up so that they have to play one sport all year. It's like, you're not changing sports seasonally like we did mm-hmm. uh, growing up in New England and, 
you know, maybe at that era of, of time. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I loved, to, I found a love for training and, and the preparation side um, in high school. I, I loved the fact of how I was going to get better. Soccer was my main sport. And how was, how was I going to be a better soccer player and between foot speed and getting stronger? And we had friends who wanted to weight lift in high school. And, and we started doing that and, you know, and reading and learning. And, and I took anatomy and physiology my junior year in, in high school. And it was a hard class for that mm-hmm. time. Um, mm-hmm. And the teacher was hard and everybody knew it. And I just fell in love with it. I was like, oh man, this is great. And that was the time, what year was that? Maybe 95 or 94. And we had a, a volunteer athletic trainer for our soccer team. And I fell in love with it, what he did. And I volunteered hours in his clinic because he also was, he had a PT background. And I was like, great, I'll build my resume up like that to make me more marketable for applications to college. I volunteered time with a family friend who was a head athletic trainer at Brown University one summer, you know, I, I was, you know, emptying garbage and restocking tape and, you know, it was, it was great, but I just, I loved it. And I had, I had just a lot of great resources to be able to do that. So tell me what you, what were you falling in love with, with ATC to start as the question? And then what did you fall out of love with it in to, to segue into strength conditioning? I didn't really know when I fell in love with AT, I was like, this is unbelievable. Like there's a medical component. There's a, there's a almost like a, you know, an emergency healthcare component mm-hmm. for an athlete and love the sporting world and everything fit. And I was, I was intrigued by anatomy and physiology and knowing the body as a system and a performing system. And I was hooked. Um, I didn't get into Springfield in the athletic training major out of all the schools. And, but that's the one I wanted to go to because that's what was, you know, the premier program, um, around. Um, so I went anyway, but I had to declare exercise science and, um, I had to, if my grades were good enough and there were positions or spots, I was able to transfer in. So a guy that I think who was one of Mike's, um, Mike Boyle's, um, classmates at Springfield, Charlie Redman, who ran the athletic training department, he was the department head. And, uh, I said, you know, I'm really interested in change in, in transferring in. It was early in my freshman year. He said, okay, well, let's, let's meet at the end of the semester or the end of the second semester, end of the year. I said, okay, great. But I was training with a soccer team. So I, now I was emerged in the strength and conditioning uh, of our team. And I'm like, oh my God, I didn't know this was even, I didn't know this was possible. You know, I didn't know this profession existed. So, and then I had the chance to transfer in and I was like, no, I'm good. I, I'm going to stay with exercise science. I had, uh, my advisor was Margaret Jones um, who was a PhD and she ran our strength and conditioning department. She was the director and, um, but she also taught, um, both uh, master's level courses and then bachelor level courses. And she was amazing. Like she's one of my mentors and a person that got me in this field. And, and I, I said, I really want to do this. You know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to volunteer hours in the gym. And she's like, come and see me the beginning of sophomore year and we'll see if we can get in there. And then she wasn't like brushing, she was brushing me off, but at the same time she was like, I hear this all the time. Let's talk at the beginning of the year and we'll see how far you take it. And mm. I, I took it, you know, to mm. where we are today in Nashville. That's kind of, um, I think from the training, the preparation side, that's what stuck with me for, you know, performance, you know, mm. and, um, so I didn't transfer into the medical side. So, so did you, did you do work with, uh, at Boyle's facility? Is that the facility you talk about in your, in your bio or is it another facility that you did? Yeah. So mm-hmm. my first internship, um, because with Dr. With Margaret Jones, Dr. Jones, you know, I was like, look, I'm not, am I right in saying that I shouldn't, I'm not going to landscape in the summertime. You know, what can I do in the summer that gives me a boost up on my resume and prepares me for for this job and when I graduate now I have a, a resume of not just the field work experience you're supposed to do a senior year but now you got three summers of working wherever volunteering wherever and now it's stacked I thought my resume was pretty good and it helped me get my GA position at BU mm-hmm. so Dr. Jones said that's a great idea um, you can get some course credit for it so I was like well that's perfect um, so um, BU had a couple, uh, Glenn Harris at BU was getting a lot of Springfield, uh, interns and he was another mentor and great friend of mine. And, and I applied for a summer internship in 98 
I interviewed for it in the spring of 98 and who was exiting the position was Sean Skane. So it was kind of funny, you know, and, you know we kind of were really, really close now, obviously being in the league, but we connected mm-hmm. back when. So, so I ended up going to, I was, I would take the train up from Providence, which is about an hour. And I, I lived with some high, some high school buddies at Northeastern and I take the train or the, the T there up to BU work all day. And then at the end of the week, I would go spend the weekend back home in Providence and work and make some extra money. And, and I got to know Glenn, but Mike was there with hockey. So Glenn and I would drive in the morning to Mike's private facility, work there and then come back to BU. And then, you know, and so, yeah. Well, I've, I've interviewed Mike and I'm sure you've listened to the Mike interview and actually, you know what, I'm going to do this early in my thing. Cause you have the same birthday as Mike Boyle. So yeah. I, I always read somebody's purpose from my lovely book, The Day You Were Born, and your purpose is to, you're a Scorpio four to learn to use your strong sense of individualism to unite rather than to keep you isolated and alone. Change your thoughts and you change your world. Norm, Norm and Vincent Peale. The Scorpio four loves tension, change, and crisis. Fours have a strong need for excitement and desire for unity. They are catalysts in the lives of others and their own world goes through many changes. They take things to the limit and then miraculously a new point of view is achieved. They make great negotiators in intense and powerful situations. They need to be put on the edge. Danger is an attraction. In a relationship, this can be a disaster. The Scorpio, Scorpio 4 is restless and needs someone who can relate to them and they constantly, as they constantly evolve. They are great diplomats, able to see what diverse people have in common. If their spiritual side is missing, they may find themselves in the outside looking in. They need a guard against becoming isolated and alone. Solitude is a good is good if it puts them in touch with their inner nature. It's not good if it keeps them eating dinner with uh, the evening news. To bring themselves into mainstream of life requires that they access their desire to help those who need support. Uh, one thing that I, I think is interesting listening to that and listening to Mike's from Mike's perspective as well. Um, you mentioned in your uh, thing ab- about how Bonnie is kind of your yin to your yang. And he talks about his wife uh, and their sort of relationship. And both of you guys have worked really hard and whether it's hockey or whatever uh, industry, what does that mean to you to have a, a spouse that sort of holds the fort and kind of recognizes that you have to grow or change? Uh, you know? Yeah. I, I found Bonnie and I met at Springfield, our junior year, you know, and, uh, it took a while to convince her to start dating, but you know, it was a hard sell, but, uh, you know, eventually she bought it. So, um, it, it's, Scotty, it's tremendous. You've lived this life and, and, uh, you know, I, I am so lucky to find a partner that always supports me in this crazy travel and crazy business and how long it takes throughout the year. But, you know, she's been amazing with our, with our kids. She's a preschool director and, and mm-hmm. she's like, preschool whisperer like she's amazing with those little ones and um and she's obviously a great teacher too so that's um that's another benefit but you know i think we're very balanced you know i'm i'm not the i'm you know it takes me a little bit to you know if we're out for dinner and and my dinner comes back cold i'm I'm gonna eat it you know and and they'll be like this is bullshit we're not paying for this and i'm like she's a very stand-up person and which is which is great and she fights the battles and and uh you know i gotta be a little bit better at that in some aspects of my life but um Mm. you know definitely not at work but you know so there's such a really good balance and she's she's very she has a lot of great common sense and and uh tremendous work ethic i think we both share that i think we both admire that um, in each other. So, so if you guys met at Springfield, would you, were you together through all this sort of traveling from these different universities like Wisconsin and Colgate and things like that? You guys were together. Yeah, the only, the only, the only we were not together for Colgate. Okay. Um, um, that, that was, I would, I would drive up to Colgate, stay there for the whole week. And I would drive back to Boston five hours on the, like every other weekend to be with her. And that was like a pit stop because I knew the Wisconsin job was, was going to be available at the end of the semester, spring semester. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I was in constant communication with the coaches there. And so Colgate, I was only there for four months. Mm-hmm. Um, but while living in Boston, being a grad student at BU, working for Mike, and then putting some time in as uh, with an old, with a friend from Springfield, another great friend, Sean Hayes, he's at the university of Georgia. Now he gave me an assistant position, a, um, a third assistant position there at Harvard. 
um, we lived together in Boston. So it was great. Yeah, it worked out really well. So tell me about how, how does the job opportunity with San Jose opposite end of the country come about for you? Yeah, this is, this is a really cool, uh, interesting story, actually. Um, remember a guy named Steve Merlin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Steve um, was living, is living in Wisconsin. When I got there, I knew he was there. I heard him speak you know, uh, at those early perform better seminars when they first started in Boston that you and Chris spoke of on, on, on his, uh, his podcast. Um, and, and I, I knew he was there and I wanted to connect with him, you know, cause I really, I really admire him as a, he's a great man. And he's a awesome thought process. So, um, we connected and, um, we got really friendly. And then I heard of a job, my third year there, I heard of a job in, with the Islanders. And I was, hey, Steve, you know, I know you know a guy named Wayne Thomas who was an assistant GM in San Jose. Any chance there's rumblings around the league that he knows of the situation there, can you call him? And Steve's like, yeah, I'd be, I'll definitely call him. So he called Wayne. Um, and, and sorry, a little backtrack. Steve knows Wayne because Steve did a one-year sabbatical with San Jose in 93 and 94 with Kevin Constantine. Mm. So that's how they really connected. And they both were Badgers. Wayne Thomas was a Badger as well as Steve. Um, so he called Wayne. He's like, Hey, you know, can you help my friend out? Do you know anything about the situation with the Islanders? Wayne said, you know, I'm sorry. I really don't, but I know we have a position open. Mm. You know, they, it was kind of the timing. It was pretty interesting. So then, um, you know, Wayne talked to Doug Wilson and, um, Gary Suter. Um, I was very fortunate to work with the Suter family, um, at that, with their midget program in Madison, um, two nights a week. Mm. It was great. You know, I got a chance to work with, so, you know, some great kids, three age groups, two nights a week with some off-ice training. And Bobby Suter and Gary gave me the opportunity to do that. So I knew them and Gary knew Doug and they connected to on my behalf. And they brought me out for an interview during development camp, um, the summer of 06. We just won two national championships at Wisconsin with one with the men, one with the women. So everything was on a high there. Great. <laughs> Um, so I went through the interview. I wasn't planning on leaving and, and Bonnie was like, geez, we're going to go to California. And I was like, it's got to be perfect, you know, because Wisconsin was, it's such an amazing place. I would mm. you know, maybe for retirement, I'd head back there to be honest with you. It's such a you're great place to live and the school's atmosphere around athletics and the community is second to none. So, well, it's interesting. I want to pivot off that for a second. So you're at a university. It's a pretty major university in the States in terms of their, their sports and especially hockey. <clears throat> and um, you have this opportunity. Why One, why are you itching to go in the National Hockey League? What's your interpretation of what it is you're going after there instead of staying in the college situation with what seems to be something rooted and, as you just described, pretty positive? Um, so why, why take the risk? You know, and the re- I'm, I'm going to segue back to why yeah. I'm asking this question later, but I'm interested in what, what's going through your mind. Why, why do you want to go out and do it? I, I think at the time I was, I wasn't looking, I, I might, you know, my drive or my um, justification of me as a professional wasn't that I had to make it to the NHL by any mm-hmm. means. Uh, I, I was intrigued by, okay, how does what we do fit into that system? You know, I've, I had a chance to talk to, at the time, I think I knew, I knew Matt Nickel. I knew Mark Nemish. I knew, um, well, Mike at the time, John Whitesides. There was a few guys that I knew, but it's because we had draft picks from those teams. Phil Walker with Chicago, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, was, I would always reach out to them and say, hey, what do you need from, from me in terms of testing numbers for your guys, like do you want, I'll send you stuff as much as you want. So I was I was intrigued by like, okay, how do we do our job in that crazy league? And obviously, talking <laughs> with Mike and his time his time with Boston, it was, um, you know, he shared a lot of like, hey, there's a lot of games, obviously, and you know, it's it's difficult, it's it's chaos, you know, mm-hmm. and it's entertainment too, which I've come to unfortunately learn. But you know, so it, um, <laughs> I, I really wanted I I wanted I wanted to 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 dive into that situation and see how I can express myself or, or be a resource for this for a team you know right. in a good in a good cool. way so you go there and, and it's arguably one of the most expensive places in the United States of America to live so what was that life adjustment like for you and your family when you went there yeah, that was that was hard that was hard for uh for for Bonnie and I because we had a home and um we just bought a home a year ago in, in Madison and it was 
great size. You know, it was like, you know, two, 2,200 square feet, unfinished basement, big yard. You know, it was, mm. it was beautiful. We, could, we wanted to start a family there, and we actually were trying to start a family there. Um, and then we go to San Jose, and, <laughs> and Bonnie's like, uh, we're looking at condos that are a half a million dollars, and that's all we could get into. And that really hurt. Um, but then, then we had to pay rent. Our rent was double what we were paying for a mortgage in Wisconsin. So, wow. so, um, so that was a tough adjustment. You know, being so far away, we had just created a network of, of you know, pseudo family and friends there because our parents were all on the East Coast in New England and Connecticut and Rhode Island. So, you know, to go even further and to have them make it even harder for them to come out and visit, you know, that was, that was an adjustment. That was mm. an, and how, how was that the job when you first started? What was, what did you expect it to be? What did it turn out to be that you didn't expect? And, and, and how did you resolve that as you move forward? Mm-hmm. Um, the travel, I knew the travel was coming, but you just don't know how difficult it is until it's in front of your face. And, and, and I say that from like, you know, wow, we're, we're getting in at two in the morning and we have, you know, we got practice tomorrow. So we got to, you know, get ready and, and you, as you know, and prepare everything and, and, you know, finish a game and you're out of there in 20 minutes. And there's never been a time when I'm on the bus or the plane, like saying, Holy shit, did I forget something? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't get that out of my head. It moves so fast. So, um, I, that was, that was surprising. You know, the, the, obviously the, the span of, of, you know, veteran players to young players i i knew it was there but you don't know how how impactful that is if, for your programming when you have to design or or consider a lot of different things for that span of age group mm-hmm. it actually was kind of it's ironic that it's i that was identical to what i did in the military what i do in the military you know because right now we have we have a 20 we have the our youngest players 20 years old and our oldest two players are 40 so that's a big, yeah. Now in the military, mm-hmm. the youngest were 22 and the oldest were about 52 if they were a seasoned operator, you know? Mm-hmm. So tremendous amount of, of operational experience, mission experience, you know, and, but you got to keep them in the fight, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's similar for Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe, you know? Right. You have a new young, young hockey player or a new young operator, not a lot of mission experience, just a lot of trading experience. So that was a, that was surprising for me, you know, and how, you know, um, it's interesting. Like there's some, some guys, uh, you've been with an organization that's had arguably quite a lot of success during the season, but has had a struggle a little bit with postseason over the years, gotten close a few times, but it's not happened. And, you know, you're 14 years in, I was 11 years, you know, I was talking to Reggie the other day who went to one final and then you got guys, um, sometimes we get, get to carry the cup and they're maybe only in the league for a couple of years. How does, how does, how do you resolve? I guess I'm segueing around on the question, but my, my question has always been to guys who are in a sport where ultimately to win is what you're trying to do. You're trying to win a Stanley cup. How do you find value or self-valuate your work when winning ultimately of the organization is the, the only real way we're all judged at some point? Yeah. I, I, you know, Scotty, like I, I can't, we all want to win. And, and I think that the, what I have to kind of come to grips with is that the guys are, are we, we have a great group of, of players and we always, we always have, you know, and mm-hmm. when it, when it peaks, we're at the peak now, it's like, you got guys like Joe Thornton and I spent a lot of time with Joe Pavelski, which was, I mean, he was at Wisconsin as a freshman mm-hmm. and then left Wisconsin and, and came to San Jose, not in a package deal by any means, but you know, <laughs> it was, you want to win with those guys. That's like yeah. a drive. You know, that's a drive. You want to win the cup with these guys and experience that because we spend so much time together, you, you know? Um, but we're fortunate enough in our situation to have a, a great group who actually put a lot of work in and, and extra time on the ice or, you know, consistency in the, in the gym with me. It's, I, I can't ask for, for more than that, but yeah, you want to win. Um, you know, for, for the guys who win it in their first year, you know, I, I cry for a week and then, you know, you get a <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I was I'd rather 13 big cries. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
<laughs> I was talking to Richie Hesketh about that a little bit ago and also just about, you know, the guys that he worked with that were sort of uh, linchpin athletes that helped him sort of um, establish his programming within the space of the team and stuff. Where Have there been guys uh, on your team that have been real um, supportive linchpins in your success in a sense? With the yeah. Well, I mean, over the years, um, Patrick Marlowe, Joe Pavelski, Ryan Klo, if you remember him, um, you know, even Joe Thornton's a massive supporter now uh, as, you know, early on, it, you know, it was compromise. You know? <laughs> so, um, but, you know, in the middle of his career, I think well, we really connected and, and now he, you know, he's, he's a, he's a gym rat, I guess you can say, you, you know, pretty cool. That's really um, but, cool. You know, you, earlier you said, you know, how you measure, uh, you know, without winning the cup, how do you measure your, your success or, or your achievements with the team? And it's, it's 100%. Am I doing my job to make these guys available? You know, am I doing the job to, to make sure we have a healthy roster and, and look, we're, we're performance coaches, but to some level, you know, we're, we're investment bankers, you know, are we giving our general managers and ownership a return on the, $80 million payroll that they're trying to put on the ice. If you have, you know, a, a long and you can't control injuries, but there's someone you can definitely safeguard against. Mm-hmm. And if we, if we can safeguard against those injuries, the non-contact ones and keep everybody available so that they're actually, they're not losing that $80 million. then mm-hmm. then that's, that's what I want to be able to, you know, go to bed at night saying I can do this for this team, especially if there's a reconditioning, um, as you've been talking and teaching so much about now, if there's a reconditioning case, can we get this guy back uninterrupted? Not fast, you know, not rush him, but when you get, when they get back, they're uninterrupted, you mm-hmm. know, they're back in the lineup, they're contributing and they're, they're, they're not coming in and out, you know? Okay. A short break here to tell you about our sponsor, reconditioninghq.com. Reconditioning is for treatment skills and protocols and training methods and exercises like an operating system on a smartphone is for applications. Fundamentally, reconditioning brings the worlds of therapy and performance preparation together in one systematic process that makes treatment and training systems more efficient and effective. Level 1 takes you through the fundamental assessment process and gives you a tactical approach to eliminating any issue that stands in the way of your client's progress towards quality movement and a healthy and high-performing state. Level 2 goes deep on context, analyzing and understanding variable movement patterns, gaining clarity on key movement attributes, and being exceptionally precise about your interventions and strategies. It then links to the overall preparation program and becomes deeply considered of the context of that program and the environments of preparation. Finally, our reconditioning specialist mentorship is a completely virtual experience you can engage in from the comfort of your home that allows you to benefit from our 50 years of professional practice in a high-quality community of practitioners. This eight-week program walks you through how to apply this powerful operating system in your environment and your circumstances, irons out all the question marks, and ensures you are ready to deliver the most effective reconditioning practice to your clients. Head over to reconditioninghq.com to see what our next courses are being held and when our next mentorship is starting. Join the reconditioning revolution. Yeah, I'm curious about that for you, from your perspective because I know you share that sort of viewpoint. Um, you know, I think the younger um, performance professional sort of leans towards the call it the X's and O's, the technical information and stuff. And they want to learn a lot, which is understandable. Um, but as you grow in this profession, you start to recognize that the relational pieces and the pieces around how, how well you keep people, you know, healthy become more of a, of a driver. And, and when in your career did you sort of, did that light turn on for you in some sense, or maybe it was from the very beginning. I don't know. I'm just kind of interested. Um, you know, like we've always, we've always tracked things. I think now I track my big rocks in a way that helps management understand how are we doing on a consistent basis all year, rather than having preseason report end of the season report development camp report, you know, there's little reports all the way through the way. Now that, um, we don't go over, I don't go overboard with all, all of the tracking and sports science because it just don't have the staff, the time or the, or the actual resource, you know, I would say, one of the key things that I think I learned early on, or there was that light bulb that went off was like, it sounds stupid, but every single day we need to be together to warm up and do something, you know, mm-hmm. like there guys will just 
go ice cold, as you know, with the, with the e-brake on, on the, uh, you know, in the whole muscular system, they'll, they'll go with the e-brake on and go and, and just go practice or go play. Mm-hmm. If we can do something from a tissue standpoint, mobility standpoint, locomotion standpoint, um, CNS standpoint, we really win those small battles daily for guys. Mm-hmm. It addresses guys from a warm-up standpoint, but it also addresses guys any, any restrictions that they may have so we can kind of bring some length, bring some mobility, bring some stability to it, and then um, we're not running with the e-brake on, as I like to put it. You know, mm-hmm. I think that, that I, I'm, I'm a pain in the ass. I'll cancel a workout before I'll cancel a warm-up session, believe mm-hmm. it or not, um, cool. because I, I just think they come in – you know, you know, they come in, they come in stiff, they come in tired, they haven't slept well after a game because they can't downregulate and relax. And, and, you know, so that's important to me. That's why I think we've won a lot of battles and knock on wood. We haven't had a lot of soft tissue issues along the way in my 14 years now. So, so how did you, how does the getting into the military piece come about for you? Yeah, that was, that was kind of, um, very organic. You know, I, I, it's funny because I had a friend in the office doing business related stuff with the sharks and, and they asked if I could write him a workout. And I said, sure, no problem. And I wrote him a workout and they came back and said, well, listen, I want to try CrossFit. And I was like, well, you better be really careful, especially <laughs> with the concerns you have um, structurally and physically. Um, so they ended up doing it and the CrossFit was owned by one of the pararescue men, Air Force Special Operations that have a base um, 20 minutes outside of San Jose. So she said, Hey, you really got to meet the instructor. I think in the owner, I think you'd really, I think you'd really have a, um, you guys would hit it off. Mm-hmm. So we did, he brought me out to the base and gave me a workout and crushed me. And, and I got on <laughs> my gym and, and I just, crushed did it with, him. <laughs> I just did it with bands. I touch a, he touched away and he was sore for a week. So I think, okay, one, one. Tens, <laughs> um, but we hit it off. You know, I, I think he was really, I was shocked in the fact that they had no structure. So our tier one assets at the time, this was 2009, had zero structure in terms of athletic trainer, physical therapist, soft tissue, um, organized training because the military guys were left to look on CrossFit on other websites and things like that that were just, you know, all horsepower and gas pedal, but no regard for function or, or you know, injury prevention or even like regression, regressing exercises. So hmm. We just hit it off. He said, can you, can you give a brief to our unit about training and your system, like where, how the docs fit in, how tissue fits in, all this stuff. They had nothing. These poor guys were left to do their own programming, get hurt, look in the, you know, the yellow pages basically for a PT, hope they're good, hope that they're a sport PT. And then when they come back, go right back to CrossFit. <laughs> so, like, what a so I was, I was fortunate enough to work with them two, two mornings a week. Um, it started like that in the first couple of years. And then I gave a couple presentations at weapons and tactics conferences um, across the Southeast. Uh, yes, the Southwest. And, um, you know, it, it now, Scotty, it's become um, a mandatory program for the Air National Guard. Um, mm-hmm. cool. It's a difficult area, though, because I was just a, it ended up growing so big that I had to, uh, the, it was a bidding process, as everything is in the military. And, you know, we unfortunately lost a couple contracts because of it, but, you know, I stay very actively involved and, and have one contract now and, and things mm. like that and built some amazing relationships with people who are now in command and we still discuss things to this day. Very cool. Yeah. Well, you sound super busy. So how, when you guys start having kids, how do you, how do you know, how do you negotiate being a dad and what, what is your prioritization of that? Or what do you prioritize in that for yourself as a father? Yeah. You know, I, I had to learn um, and come to, come to grips with like, okay, when you're home, you're home. It's, you know, find a way to shut things off, you know, don't come home and have to get on your computer or, or things like that. Um, uh, you know, even at night when it's just Bonnie and I reconnecting, you know, it's okay. We got to leave the work for work, you mm-hmm. know? And and that's, that's been, that's been a ch- change that I'm kind of constant, constantly thinking about and trying to make sure I reinforce, you know, mm-hmm. Um, because you know, you, I mean, if you're on your device all the time when you're home, then that's where you're teaching your kids to be is you're going to have yeah. to be on your device all the time. So, um, other than emergencies and connect, reconnecting with family, that's what we reserve the devices. Mm-hmm. So I really have to get a grip on that Scotty early on in my career. Um, 
with the kids and obviously with, with Bonnie. The other thing that makes it challenging is the constant travel, you know, mm-hmm. I've been able to utilize my summers a little bit better for continuing education and I have a little bit more of a staff now so we can spread the wealth in terms of coverage of athletes or training in San Jose, mm-hmm. which is good, you know, but, um, you know, the, the travel is always the, the challenge, especially yeah. 11 and 10 and six and then getting older. Right. So. I'm interested because your kids are around the same age as my daughter is 11 and, you know, we, it's, it's this challenge of being, you know, active people who are into sport, who are, you know, our whole life is about performance and stuff. And then we come home and we want, we want our kids to have an active, healthy life, but we're also have all these influences. And you spoke about it at the beginning about how these days kids are being driven into one sport kind of method, you know, you got to do this or you're not going to have success, so to speak. So yeah. I'm just curious how you're negotiating that world as a dad, you know, and decision-making for, you know, how your kids are taking on sport and what have you been your challenges we're, there? We're trying to do with our kids, at least, you know, like we're, I'm, tr- I'm still trying to keep that seasonal mm-hmm. sport uh, schedule, you know, uh, right now the hockey's uh, hockey takes up a majority of the time, but it starts after soccer and then, baseball for my son and my littlest one is just learning to skate running around and you know playing in the backyard which is which is great summertime i don't we we don't do any organized travel hockey or or um there's one camp that they love to go to so that's the one you know they get to go to the hockey hockey camp other than that we're you know swimming and and riding bikes and and traveling and all that that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff so so that's kind of how we're finding balance right now, but you know what, Scotty? What's surprising to me, um, it's changed. Like in the last eight years, I would say. Like Griffin, we had Griffin our th- second or th- third year, I think now um, into San in, at, when we moved to San Jose. So like back then, I felt like okay, well, there's still a chance where he doesn't have to do it all year round until he's maybe 14 or 15. But now it's like nine years old is where like you're seeing it. I was, mm-hmm. I was, as a parent, I was surprised that I thought I had more time, you know, to, not to worry about that, but it's, yeah, it's there. So mm-hmm. you've, you've experienced a lot of different coaches, a lot of different coaching environments in your life. What do you, what do you think are, when you distill down, what do you think are the two, top two, three character traits of a, of a good coach? One who gets the best out of their athletes. Yeah. Um, I say, you know, they're very, they're, 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 they're a very tr- trustworthy resource for that athlete. That's why they keep coming back. And, and that's what, um, whether it be Mike or Mark Verstegen or, you know, even on the hockey side, you know, like I think, you know, I, I had a chance to work at IPI before they became API. And, you know, I, Brandon Marcello was my, um, my intern director actually um, down in Florida the summer of 99. So I, I think they're, they're very um, organized in their thought process. They know their system works. Um, they're not, they, they, they take time and intent and use intelligence to, to see how new ideas fit into their programming and they stay, they constantly evolve. You know, I don't think any of them have, have gotten stale and I think the best who are continuously there never get stale, you, you know? Um, so, but I, it, I really strive to be, at the end, when I'm not coaching anymore, I'm not involved or, or wherever or retired or whatever, whatever that time period you wanted to find it as, I really want to be someone who was known as trustworthy and definitely was a great resource to find to help that athlete navigate what they're going through, whether it be an injury, whether it be supplementation, whether it be um, maybe getting better on the ice, you know, or getting faster or maybe help extend their career. So, mm-hmm. How do you um, protect yourself from burning out or, or, burning the candle at both ends for too long like how, how do you take care of mike yeah good, good question mike's just starting to learn how to do that <laughs> so i'm not i was never good at yeah taking care of mike you know it's just constantly go which explains the scorpio i guess you know but <laughs> you know now it's you know i've i have a couple things in my life that i was like okay i need to slow down like i need to figure out I'm a better coach when I'm not juggling other things, but that's, that's what I'm always defaulting to as a habit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and health wise, like um, I turned 41 in October. So it's like, you know, I, I, 
I, I want to be able to move around better and, and be a better athlete myself. So I, I have to get better at, okay, what's my down period, you know, which mm-hmm. it's helped since what's helped is like shutting it off when I go home, you know, mm-hmm. or taking time to, to be with the kids and check out. Like that's how I kind of refill my bucket in a way, you know, um, you know, for me in this profession, sleep is, you know, <laughs> nil or void. So whenever I can get that, I know I feel better. I know that's important to me and, and my pace, at least that I want to go to. Um, so that's important. Yeah. That's awesome. What's, um, you're starting to teach now. I see, um, is it, uh, is it Kevin Neal, the fellow that's with Boston that you guys are doing some stuff? Yeah. What, what's going on with that? What is that all about that you guys are doing? Uh, you know, that Jim Laval was the other, um, clinical pharmacologist, um, blood work expert that I connected with a long time ago to speak at the NHL strength coach association meetings. And, and I've gotten to the, into the blood work in the last five years. It's really intriguing me as to how to look at biomarkers for the athlete and keep a, a level of resiliency, durability and, and, and health throughout the crazy season. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously performance is going to be a component of that. So, you know, and, and when Kevin was working for me as my, my assistant, um, he fell in love with Jim's work too. And, and we just saw that like we all could provide something in that video um, optimizing adaptations where a coach is going to have to deal with all of these pieces throughout their, throughout their day, maybe throughout their training year, throughout their off season. So I wanted to pull it together um, in a video format and, and, you know, we, we did it. It was, it was fun doing it. Um, I thought the topics really blend together well. Um, so that was pretty cool. And, and Jim has been, I've been hosting Jim as for a metabolic performance, uh, cellular metabolic performance conference in San Jose the last three summers. So mm. that's been awesome because we get, we're getting performance coaches, dietitians, um, researchers from, from military performance to professional athlete performance, you know, which mm. is pretty cool. So it's a diverse group that everybody's there. You can learn from. It's pretty neat. So very cool. Yeah. What's, um, what's next for you in a sense, or do you think about that when you're in your, in the national hockey league? Like, I think I thought about it every day for the last three years. (laughs) 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 I I honestly, I have Scotty, I I have, I've been thinking about a lot. Um, and, and I'm trying to figure out like, you know, I don't know if Mike Tenza in 10 years is going to be hanging gear you know, in Columbus in February or in Winnipeg in February. So what's my plan? And, and you know what? I honestly, I keep coming back to, I would love to teach. I would love to be an advisor and I would still love to work in, in, the, in a gym. And maybe that's the collegiate setting. Maybe all of those components um, are conducive to the environment of college sport again. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, my advisor, Margaret Jones, had that position and, and I'm mentoring a lot of, a lot of, um, coaches now at whether they be interns or whether they be former assistants. Like, I mean, there's four guys in the national hockey league now at a high level that are um, either head strength coaches or sports science role um, that have worked with me in the past mm-hmm. or directly for our organization. So um, I'm proud to say that. Um, and I think, I think I can really offer a lot from a mentoring standpoint for young, for young uh, professionals who want to kind of get in the field. So. That's very cool. Do I you know how to get there. So, <laughs> I don't know how to do it. You throw a stone in the water and watch yeah. it ripple and see what happens. Yeah. Just have a roadmap, please send it my way. I'll send you a <laughs> Happy to share, my friend. Um, here again with another word from our sponsors, Zenkai Sports, who want to let you in on a little secret. Performance apparel hasn't changed much in the last 20 years. Most apparel is still based on moisture-wicking synthetics, which not only make you more overheat faster, but are toxic for your body and the environment. Synthetics don't biodegrade, so that stinky workout shirt you have to throw out after six months, it lasts for thousands of years in landfills. Zenkai is the only cotton-based training apparel on the market, keeping your body safe from those scary petroleum-based synthetics found in most workout gear and giving you that extra edge when it counts. Be a part of the solution and join the revolution for better apparel technology at www.zenkaisports.com. What's in your ZNA? For 20% off your entire order, please use the discount code LYM20. You, you are in this 
now and you look back at what you were when you began what what did you love about what you did then and how is that transition transitioned into like are you excited about solving a problem are you excited about the mentorship of an athlete or an, or one of these young guns who then goes off to what excites you about going to work every day now yeah i'd say two things like first i look back at my programming as i did when I was in college and look back to my early programming. So I look back at my early program in the NHL and I'm like, Oh my God, you wrote this. That's just crazy. <laughs> I wouldn't hire you. You know, <laughs> shakes. Never mind. Like, and, and I say that because I, I just was a, I thought a blanket program would help everybody, you know, and I've gotten into more individualizations. I've gotten into more um, kind of movement profiling you know give them exactly what they need and it's it's not easy you know but um but that's what's necessary so mm-hmm. you gotta spend the extra calories and um so I, i'm really happy with what i'm trying to figure out and solve from an in-season programming standpoint to keep guys um ready you know a mm-hmm. high level of readiness you know right. the one thing I, I i fell in love with scotty early on was um was the reconditioning portion the return to play or return to competition I, I, Mike always gave us the opportunity when, when we were working for him privately, if he had an injury case or a rehab case, he designed the program and then, you know, he would entrust us to run it and take them through it. So mm-hmm. I didn't know a lot of the whys I, I came to learn those from Mike over the years, but, but I knew what, what knew, knew what elements were in it for each injury case. Right. So I, I, I would say that gave me a little bit of background, but when I went to San Jose, Ray Tufts is our head athletic trainer. You know Ray for a long time, and him and I are, are you know, super close and, and work extremely well together. So on the injury cases, it became we kept we keep everything in house until it's a big problem for us to solve, and then we look for the resources, right? Mm-hmm. So the biggest one, my first one, was uh, an ACL with uh, with Ryan Clow, and um, I reached out to Bill Knowles. I just had met Bill Knowles in Springfield. And him and I hit it off and, and became really, really friendly. And I leaned on Bill for my, you know, return to play education. And, and that was a kind of aha moment. I was like, oh, my God, he speaks, you know, unbelievably fluent, you know, return to play. And that's what he does. And he's very special at it. And it's, you know, it's amazing. So, and I've, over the years, I've always reached back out to him. But I love solving that problem, mm-hmm. you know. And um, I would say the majority of the cases that I've had to deal with over the years have been lower body cases and only a few upper body. But, um, you know, I, I like that because I get to control to the on ice activity. So I'm skilled enough at least to get on the ice, not fall down and push pucks around and set up drills. Right. And know what the drills, how they should progress until I can hand them over to practice now. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm confident that they can compete in practice. And then the head coach and the staff will say, OK, we, we're going to determine when he's game ready. And I'm like, That's fine. You know, so I love that part of it. I love planning that part of it. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So if if Mike Potenza now ran into Mike Potenza doing his internship at Mike Boyles, what would Mike Potenza now give? What advice would he give to that Mike Potenza? I would say, um, I would say hustle, but don't run. <laughs> because, <laughs> because I've been running. I mean, we all run. We we just we just run around this profession, you know. And mm. a lot of us have a purpose of where we're running, but we just don't know the cost of running, right? Um, so you say, you know, you ask me that question, how do you, how do you, you know, take care of Mike? And, um, I would tell myself ways to take, start taking care of yourself early, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and, uh, you're going to be a better coach for it and you're going to be a healthier individual for it. And you're going to be a more patient father, you know, Mm -hmm. for, um, the one thing on the, um, the, uh, the learning side, I would say, get get your skills uh improve your skills with soft tissue you know if i i would i'm still trying scotty i've been trying to figure out how for the last couple years how can i become a certified massage therapist so that can open up doors um legally from a a hands-on standpoint but Hmm. but there's some great coursework and tissue and, and a lot of what we see from injury to correction you know if you can have a set of hands and do those things right away you're going to solve a lot of problems and that and that world um, intrigues me too. So um, I, I want to be able to go back and do that. And I wish I had been smart enough to know the impact that was going to have back then, you know, back then there was never any crossover between strength specialists who have soft tissue skills and things like that. And, and mm-hmm. 
and, and you know what, you, you really didn't find a lot of athletic therapy, athletic trainers who they have it, but they didn't use it as at the high level that the profession drives it to now. Mm-hmm. So, um, I would say spend some extra time, you know, <laughs> make it work. Yeah. I'm telling you. That's awesome. You, uh, you are going to perish from this world one day. What would you like people to remember you for? Um, you know, as I said earlier, uh, I want to be known as a, a, a coach and a friend and a family member who was, who's trustworthy and honest, you know, never, never was there another ulterior motive for, for behind me, but I always were genuine to you or to, to, to everybody I kind of came in contact with. Um, uh, I always want to be known as a go-to resource. Like I mentioned earlier, um, someone who was going to work hard to find out an answer. If I didn't know the answer and be honest about it, hey, I, I can't, I don't know, but I'll help mm-hmm. you find out. Right thing. Um, you know, someone who would be a good teammate, you know, I think, you know, you look, there's layers within the organization, right? There's management, there's coaches, there's players, there's, there's staff. And, you know, when you really get into the day to day, you have the players and you have that support staff of coaching and trainers around it. But I think we're all trying to help each other out and, and we got to be to some level, some, a good teammate. And I've always, that I've always wanted to be a good teammate, even as a young athlete, because that's what was instilled with me through my parents, you know, and, and they were good people to everyone. So it was an easy example for me to, to see, you know, um, what's, what's been the greatest challenge to you uh, on that mission? Like, cause we all, we all strive to be X, but we have the devil Y on one side. Like what has been your greatest challenge to you well, exploring it's, that and yourself? It's, it's easy in, in life and, and here to, to take the, to take the easy, to take the easy way out. It's easy for, you know, to, to maybe things aren't going bad. You're losing and, and Hey, you know, like this guy's not playing well, like that has nothing to do with, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not determining that, you know, that, that guy still, still needs my role and someone who's going to be helpful and supportive of, them, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I've always been driven probably because the way we am raised to, 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 to be honest. And, and you know what, there's no need to talk, talk poorly about someone because it's going to come back against you mm-hmm. at some point. Yeah, for every finger you point, there's three more pointing back at you. So, you know, <laughs> um, good advice. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I think that's a wonderful way to finish my friend. Thank you for taking an hour with me today on game day. And hopefully you guys will win against Nashville tonight. Yeah, we need one, but thanks for having me. I love this podcast, Scotty. I think, you know, it's definitely something that, you know, we don't consider enough in our profession and, and you've opened that door. I, I love, I've listened to maybe 10 now and, and the stories, like you got to be able to appreciate the stories and the, where everybody's come from, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, it's, it's an honor to be on this. I, I, thanks for asking me. So. Well, you've earned it, man. Thanks for coming and have a good rest of your day. And hopefully we'll bump into each other live and in person one of these days. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.